Welcome to episode 101 of Friends in Film, a podcast that some news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Jurassic World 2's trailer, X-Men Dark Phoenix details, an R-rated Star Trek movie, and more after you view The Disaster Artist. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Citrus, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man looking forward to next week's episode, Josh Traley. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. So Last close. Jedi. Oh, man. First of all, I never thought we'd get a sequel trilogy, and now we're staring in the face of the sequel to the sequel trilogy. No, no, that's yeah, not right. The Is that right? The first sequel in the sequel trilogy. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Ah, and then this like signifies my winter break between semesters, and you know all the Oscar movies flying onto the theater. I was gonna say shells, but that's not right. You know, <laughs> if only reels. it worked that way. Wouldn't yes. that be cool if you could walk into a theater and be like, um, yeah, I'll see this one, and you just put it in, and you just see it in your own little theater. Like that'd be cool. I think that's Netflix. But like for like right? new releases, like you could walk oh, in, yeah, anytime over the next couple of weeks and be like, I want to, I, mean, I want to see Last Jedi. And I'm like, all right, here you go. No show time. No show time. Go for it. It can be just you. You can go there with a crowd of people. That'd be cool. <laughs> I think maybe it started off like that. Then they're like, we need a more cost effective <laughs> yeah. way. So they started bunching up, and then you know, yeah, ticket prices are more. Probably not yet too like cost effective to have. Uh, Hundred mini screens, like let's just have twenty really big ones yeah. instead. <laughs> At that point, you're just like you know the TV section in Walmart or whatever. Right? Yeah. But I mean, oh well, that's Again, not how that's not how the movie works and no. movie industry works. Instead, we get to go see movies with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And we saw the Disaster Artist this week. Yeah, I saw it with a uh, probably like a six year old sitting behind me in reclining chairs, and he just kept hitting. <laughs> He kept hitting the like the recline, disaster artist, the recline, the go at like the move forward one. So it just went, just literally the entire movie. So that's pretty annoying. Oh. But we're going to review the disaster artist, not our experience uh, sitting in the theater <laughs> and with the people around us. Um, but if we get into spoilers on the movie, there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode. So you guys can skip ahead to the news if you haven't seen the, the movie so far. Hopefully you have, so you can stick with us through the entire episode. And it is my week to start. Mm-hmm. Go for um, it. History with the Room. I've seen it one time a couple of weeks ago. I saw it for the first time. Um, and then I saw The Disaster Artist with the same people I saw The Room with. All of us saw that for, I believe it was our first time all seeing it together. And uh, the biggest takeaway for me for this movie is just that James Franco is Tommy Wiseau. Like, yeah. it is uncanny. <laughs> Just like how spot on he is, like the the face, the his voice, mm-hmm. um, unbelievable, ev- everything about him. You're just like, this is Tommy Wiseau. It's not James Franco p- playing Tommy Wiseau. It's one of the most transformational performances I feel like I've ever seen before. And yeah, part of that comes from knowing and like seeing Tommy Wiseau because mm-hmm. like you know, there's some biopics you're like, I've never seen this guy or this person in actions and how they speak and talk so i don't know if that's really how it was but like as they were recreating the worst movie ever made yeah (laughs) like you can totally just like you get those flashbacks to moments in the room and you're like wow like this is this is a spot-on impression and i think one of the things this movie did really really well that i questioned going in was how could they balance 
you know, making fun of Tommy Wiseau and then just kind of telling this guy's journey. And I thought they did it really, really well. Yeah, they did. Um, masterfully even because there are those moments where they're, they're recreating those iconic moments and you're laughing at Tommy because you're just like, this dude is ridiculous. And just kind of the way he talks, the way he mm-hmm. thinks. But then they show his like his passion for it and his drive. And you're like, I get this guy. I understand it. He is doing it in the most bizarre way, but he is going after his dream. And as yeah. unconventional as it may be, and you know, you yeah, you laugh at him. You laugh with him. You care for him. He's sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But then it also points he's the villain of the movie, and you're like, I don't like this guy. But then there's other porn, uh, parts near the end where you're just like, ah, oh, this like sucks. And that was one of the re- points where I was like, I don't know if this is working for me anymore because I don't think it's really spoiler territory of this movie at all. No, it's because all out there. It's near the end of the movie is the room showing for the first time in theaters and Mm -hmm. it's the world premiere. And, you know, Tommy had always envisioned this as like a serious drama and, you know, that's how they made it. And so then in the theater, when people start like chuckling and you're just like, yeah. And he's just got kind of looking around like, why are people laughing? And like, you're laughing at that point still too. But then the way they just made the laugh sound and the way they just drowned it out the entire theater and they just focus on, James Franco is Tommy and you're just like he starts like crying yeah. you're just like this sucks you want like as a viewer I was like I feel so bad for laughing at this movie at certain points but also laughing at the room and but then like it still didn't take away the overall enjoyment of the movie at all which mm. I thought was crazy no yeah you watch the joy drain from his face in that scene and then you're just like oh this whole movie's been like a trap to make mm-hmm. me feel awful and I just, yeah, I did not see that. I mean, I did, I did not see that turn coming. Right. I didn't think it would hit as well as it did. Yeah. Because like, you know, we are content creators in a sense where we're making this podcast. So, I mean, one of our goals is obviously for people to listen to this and to like it and, mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully get enjoyment out of it. But, you know, we're just creating this because we want to. And I think it's just from that perspective, there's also a great movie just to be like, you know, who cares what other people thinks? Like if you want to go make something, just do it. Like yeah. it may not work out how you anticipated. It may, you know, go from being the serious drama to being one of the most, you know, hysterical movies in all of existence, mm-hmm. but you still attempted to make something and it went on to get this incredible status in the film community that, it's like one of those things where you can't be afraid to take the risk to make something. I liked that other part of the movie because they're like, okay, well, Hollywood's not going to accept us. What, I mean, if only we could just make it ourselves. And it's like, let, let's do that. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of people, they just, you know, they have dreams and aspirations of certain things, but they don't know how to get it done. And instead of trying, they're just like, oh, well, I can't do it. But, you know, Tommy had this dream of being, you know, mm-hmm. an actor, a director, like a Hollywood big, like Hollywood star. And he got there eventually. It didn't right. happen how he thought he was going to, but he had the guts and the desire to do it. And I think that was just another aspect of his character that is kind of easy to root for in a sense. Even though, yeah, there's certain points where it's like this dude is just being the biggest jerk in the world. Where he's like yelling at the girl to like cover up her like pimples on her shoulders. She's like, you, Freckles, need, you, yeah. you need to look like a sexy American and you know, like all this stuff. And you're just like, 
like this is like really mean but then you want like you can also understand it from his perspective being like this movie has to be good mm-hmm. and i'm gonna do whatever i think needs to be done to make it good um also i thought dave franco was really good i didn't know he had this sort of like you know almost dramatic you know part yeah, to does. him like yeah. he's always been very comedic there there was some netflix series that he was in for like two episodes um i think it was called like love or something oh yeah yeah um mm-hmm. and i thought he was really good in that series as a dramatic actor as well so i was happy to see him balance the dramatic parts but also he's the audience in a sense where he's going along this ride with tommy and he's he's like side-eyed like mm, i don't know if this guy actually knows what he's doing and like <laughs> right. laughing at him throughout the part but then he also still sticks with them mm-hmm. through the toughest parts uh it's a great journey of a tortured artist josh hutcherson's hair oh is gosh. out of control uh that is one of the craziest wigs i've ever seen it was so distracting that literally anytime mm. hutcherson is on screen i just laughed because he just looked so ridiculous yeah, with well, that hair. Just his introduction too, <laughs> when he's uh, trying to figure out his role. Yeah. He's just like, just, just be the kid. Be, be how old you are. It's like, dude, I'm 26. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and they also leave so many like unanswered questions to Tommy. Like, how old is he? Where did mm-hmm. he come from? He's not from Louisiana. He's not 19 <laughs> in this movie. Uh, you know, we never know where he gets his money from. Right. But I think it all just adds to like this incredible part that is Tommy Wiseau yeah that you're just like nobody knows where this guy came from but he he's here he made this mm-hmm. and I thought it was a really incredible journey uh and a story to follow and not just make fun of the room but also you know tell that journey in a really respectable way uh and I'm gonna give it five ticket subs out of five all right yeah awesome um I think I mean yeah like I'll say this flat out hands down the the Disaster Artist yes. is fantastic. A fantastic comedy and just a, a really great movie overall. I think it's probably the best thing that Rogan and Franco have ever done. That, maybe that's too far to say. Maybe not, but... I don't know. I mean, it I think it's... I haven't of, seen all of Franco's directorial stuff because it's often smaller, but I mean, it's... Uh, I, I, I'm hard pressed to believe that he's directed something better than this. Yeah, I would say so too. And, you know, like it's... What I tried to say, I think, last week on our last episode about this movie was one of the parts that's so uh, was so attracting about it is that Tommy Wiseau, like you said, he's definitely not from the Big Easy. <laughs> no. But wherever he is from, um, he has this idea about the myth of Hollywood yeah. and what it means to be an actor, uh, you know, Put yourself out there. Show the world your emotion. I mean, it's clear from the first time yeah, we meet him. That pizza scene where they're eating in a diner and, like, he gets Dave Franco to, like, stand up and, like, do yeah. the big show is, oh, it's so good. Yeah. And, and, and at that point in the movie, you're like, this guy knows what's up. We just don't understand him. He's such a great <laughs> artist. And I love – and that that is one thing to say. Tommy Wiseau's um, – his arc through this movie winds – everywhere Mm -hmm. from you going oh this guy's gonna help dave out or (laughs) you know or greg help greg out and we're just gonna like totally not be able to understand him and then you kind of understand him a little bit he's Mm -hmm. like oh he just wants to be famous and he's gonna be a jerk to anybody or you know he'll get it done he'll get it done then you're like oh wait no he's a good friend because he wrote his part for mark or no greg sorry yes and uh and then you see him be a total jerk again. And then you see him get jealous. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, like you said, just like two minutes ago, 
you feel so bad for him. Mm-hmm. And then luckily, you know, uh, Greg gets out there and then you brings him back up and you're like, okay, this guy's not that half bad after all. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, impeccable. And like you said, James Franco disappears into this role. I like half my brain is like trying to follow the movie and they're half being like, is that really James Franco? <laughs> right? Look harder and maybe you'll see James Franco in there. And like, I just, Anytime he was up on screen, I'm like, why aren't they? Why aren't they keeping the camera on him long enough? That's because they're like they're afraid or something. They're, you know, I was just like, so uh, I, I was bewildered that, that the guy from Spider Man, you know, right. uh, <laughs> Harry Osborn, yeah, exactly, yeah. is is this you know foreign guy with long hair, like muscles, and just like I don't know the accent too. I mean, like and. Maybe it was a little bit overdone because with so, and I think in real life is a little less, a little toned, a little notch or two down. Maybe. But it works so, so well. And then, yeah, like you said, Dave crushed it. I, I've only known him from his comedy work mm-hmm. and his one season of uh, Scrubs Medical oh, School, yeah. that short lived, uh, you know, revival of the show. Uh, so, yeah, he. He's, I think, th- for him, like, you know, in terms of like movie, mm-hmm. uh, career wise stuff, I think this is like a big deal for him, yeah. too. Uh, and then the movie's just full of just fun <laughs> twists and turns everywhere. The Brian, Brian Cranston showing oh up was gosh. a great little cameo, but best of all, Chris R. by Zach Efron, <laughs> his warm up, his that was honestly like when he started going, I was like, is that? Zac Efron? Yeah. So I was like, wow, this is Zac Efron. It's so crazy. I, uh, oh man, that was, yeah, because I was like, is that, no, that's not him. Oh, that's him? Yeah. No, that's not him. And then finally when he's like mugging Josh Hutchinson, <laughs> I'm like, that is him. What a great way uh, for him to pop in there. Uh, so that was absolutely, that was absolutely stellar. Um, and yeah, I it just, I, 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 the entire audience I was with in this theater was laughing all the way through, and it was definitely uh, worth it. I don't think I have anything bad to say about it or any like, wishes or mm-hmm. should have, could have, would have. So at the end of it, I would say two. It's five yeah. out of five ticket stubs. The only like I was, I was on the verge of a four and a half for a little bit mm-hmm. because of the way it makes you like sympathize for him and be like, like it makes you feel bad for laughing at the entire journey to get to this point because you're like oh like i added to this in a sense like 10 years after the fact yeah. but it's still like it it hurts and i was like i don't know if that i don't know if that worked so well but then i was mm-hmm. like but i'm pretty sure that's what they were going for anyways so i'm like i can't you know knock it for that yeah i think that, that no that's the beauty that's the beauty of it like listen the cult status of the movie is only i think i think is overplayed but then again, I'm yeah. not a part of it, okay? Like, I don't think, like the actors at the lunch table were saying is, oh, Tommy wrote this deep, <laughs> universal, grand <laughs> right. mytho theory about his movie and the room symbolizes and he symbolizes. I'm like, no, no, no. The dude just made a bad movie. Yeah. But what the movie, what the disaster artist tries to show you is he did it with the best of intentions mm-hmm. in a way. And granted, like you said, it's a little more complicated because he was a pretty big jerk, you know, on set to a lot of people. And mm-hmm. some of that stuff is rather inexcusable. Yeah. Um, but you can, in some ways, definitely appreciate the fact that 
the dude put up all of his money for it, stupidly, you know, mm-hmm. or not, and uh, went for it. And that's to be uh, that effort is to be appreciated. Uh, yeah. At the end of it. Yeah, and I, I loved the scene when uh, Seth Rogen goes to cash his first paycheck. Oh, yes. He's like, "All right, here we go," <laughs> and he's like, "All right, here's all your set. money." And they're yeah. like, "He's like, wait." What? <laughs> he's like, yeah. I was expecting this not to clear. And he's like, mm-hmm. the big toe's like, dude, this account is like an endless <laughs> well of money. Yeah. And he's like, do you know this guy? He's like, yeah, I'm working with him on a movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that just only adds to the intrigue of like who Tommy is. Right. And then I loved the the tag at the end where they're like, uh, <laughs> like you know, till this day, you know, mm-hmm. Tommy and Greg Sestero, you know, they still talk. They travel. Yeah. The movie only made $1,800 in theaters. Right. Um, but Tommy kept it in theaters for, he paid for it to stay in theaters for two weeks and qualify for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And that ends with like, you know, but nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows <laughs> yes. you know how old he is and nobody knows where his money came from. It's like throughout, cause I'm sure James Franco talked to Tommy about this thing for a, a while to yeah. get all the details and talk to Greg and everything. Mm-hmm. Cause it's based on the book that Greg Sestero wrote. Um, yeah. The disaster artist a while ago. Mm hmm. So, like, I'm sure there's probably more details that Franco knows that's not in the movie in terms of maybe Johnny's or not in terms of Tommy's backstory, potentially. Okay. But I still don't think, like, he's not going to reveal that stuff because it adds to the legend of who is this Tommy Wiseau guy. Yeah. I, I It's either that or it's just that Tommy will not tell anybody. Yeah. And I like, I like that. I like, I like to think that, too. Like, even after all of this, he's still like... No, I'm still, I'm from New Orleans, man. But also, like, how can you not find this guy? How can, like, through all the technology we have nowadays, you can't run, like, facial recognition back through, like, years and... This dude's got a unique face. Mm -hmm. You could find, if you really wanted to, I think you could find out more about this guy. Well, you know what? Actually, if him and John Travolta stood side by side wearing a wig... uh, I could get confused. Uh, Oh, wait, no. Maybe I'm thinking of that that other guy. Who's like John Travolta, but only like always in character? I don't know who you're going. Long hair, for. dark glasses. Um, yeah, I I don't know who you're trying you, to get at. You don't know who I'm talking about at nope. all. It does action movies? Really big. Looks like like a, like a like a a bouncer at a bar or something like that. Oh, um, I okay, and I know you're talking Danny Trejo. Is that you're thinking of? No, I can't think of him. Shoot. Wow. Well, right. well, we'll, we'll that'll, that'll be, it out. you have to come back next week <laughs> to figure out. Uh, his name Josh is at the is tip of my of. tongue, but I'll get to it. Uh, or stick around. Maybe he'll blurt it out in the middle of our news <laughs> episode or news section. But um, do you have any other thoughts on the disaster artist? Are we free I, to move on. I, I don't. That's all I've got for it. It's just, I mean, there, there isn't really much to dissect from mm-hmm. it other because everything is just so clear cut. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a joyride of a movie from beginning do you think you have to see the room to enjoy the movie no i don't think so at all because watching it be made um if you if you watch it in reverse if you will watch them make the movie and then watch the movie and then i think it makes you it compels you to want to go watch the movie yeah even if you haven't already seen it because you're like there's probably a ton of more stuff they shot in this movie and made fun of that i want to see play out for real yeah why am i saying this does this breast cancer part come back in the movie no (laughs) Uh, okay uh but yes that's all we have for our review of the disaster artist we'll be right back in a bit with the news
Golf. Got it. That's who it is. Yes. Figure uh, it out. He's huge, tall, built, black hair, glasses, sometimes with a goatee. If him and Tommy Wiseau were in a lineup, maybe I might have some trouble. I can I can maybe see that one a little better than John Travolta. Okay, yes. But we're not here to talk about Stigall. We're here to talk about some news. Yes. And as always, we're going to start with some trailers. And this week, we had actually we actually had a bunch of them. We had a bunch of trailers come out this week, mm-hmm. including our final look at Mage Runner, The Death Cure, the final chapter of this young adult franchise. Um, you have not seen any of these movies. I haven't seen a single trailer. I have. And I was pretty underwhelmed by this trailer. Okay, what is, I know what Maze Runner is, kids are dying, or people are dying and these kids are immune to the disease. Yeah. Uh, And they go through a maze because that helps them fight the disease, and then they cross a desert because that's how the world looks, right? Yeah. That's the gist of it? Sure. Okay, so why does it look like it's like a, a cyberpunk film this time around? What's going on here? There are different sections of the world, and so I... Would I'm guessing that the cyberpunk part is the part of civilization that is still inhabitable. Got it. That hasn't been taken over by the scorch, is which I is think. zombies. Uh, it's it's like the I guess it's kind of zombie-ish. Got it's it. The disease that is like you know killing everything, and that's why they're looking for the cure, mm-hmm. the death cure, uh, as this movie is titled. But I just think. This one should be like the big epic conclusion to the two films that came before, and both of those films I enjoyed pretty thoroughly. And this one just doesn't feel like it has that that energy to it, the um, the, the 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 pacing to it. Like it doesn't feel like it, they're really going after anything. It just feels like it's all sort of happening, and it almost feels like this would be like the middle chapter. It'd be like, all right, here's the setup to get to the conclusions. Then mm-hmm. this is the conclusion. I feel like there needs to be more stuff. Maybe they're holding back because I feel like they haven't shown a lot in the marketing so far. So yeah. either they're holding back surprises or they're not confident in it. So there's not showing stuff anyways because there's like, it's, I mean, it's not going to do well. Whatever. It is what it is. So we'll just throw it out there in theaters and see what happens. But I mean, there's a couple decent action moments uh, in the trailer. But other than that, I think it just looks um, like an unsatisfying ending to this trilogy. Yeah. I mean, it does be. It, there is no like huge big secret final reveal type of a thing. Like they're just shouting Not each other about of. like a a cure. And they're like, mm-hmm. there is no cure, and we're like, well, isn't, that's the movie then, right? <laughs> Do I don't, don't need to see it? Okay, but it looks like there's like you know relationship nodding and things like that. Yeah, but other than that, Thomas is somehow involved very mm-hmm. heavily, and is his DNA tied to the cure? Maybe right? I don't really know. I think that's the whole point though, because all the kids are immune. Yeah. Oh god. But then like why do why is he special? Because like Kai Scalario's character like betrayed him all in the last movie and it's you know, it's a whole big thing. So um I liked getting to see Aiden Gillen and, and Dylan O'Brien fight. I was like, that could be cool. I just hope that's not like the big boss battle at the end of the movie because that could be kind of underwhelming too. But uh moving on from Maze Runner, let's talk about Ready Player One. Oh yes. We got please. our second trailer fact today, actually as of this recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've watched it a couple of times. Josh, what did you think? Uh, yes. it's. It looks like it feels exactly like the book was. Um, we have this grand um, master chase, like master hunt going on, and the Oasis 
just looks better and better mm-hmm. like, all the way through. But this time, though, since it is the first official trailer, we have <laughs> we have clear cut views of everybody in the film, you know, and, and the, the the CG and the digital effects um, and the avatars mm-hmm. of everybody are very close to the Uncanny Valley. I don't know how I feel about them just yet, mm-hmm. but they do look stellar. And uh, I'm just excited to see this world brought to life, you know, in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, it looks like the parallels from the outside world to the, the Oasis look like they're going to make for uh, a good dynamic mm-hmm. because I was worried they were going to kind of just go all in on the Oasis and be like, well, why would we want to leave the Oasis? If, right. you know? But the world that is set up out there is worth exploring, mm-hmm. especially, you know, Columbus, Ohio and the stacks right. and everything like that. The trailers on trailers on trailers and things like that. But you have no experience with this movie or with this with the, with book. The book. Yes. So what are you thinking? Are you ready for the Oasis? Oh yeah. I am. I, I was sold on the first trailer. This mm-hmm. one just, you know, this one's like, you already bought your first ticket, buy a second one. I'm like, yeah. okay, sure. <laughs> okay. Why not? Let's do that. Cause I think it just look, it looks excellent. It looks like, that fun imaginative world that Spielberg is great at working. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, I loved it's like the explanation at the very beginning of why his name is Wade Watts. Cause his father wanted to sound like a superhero name, like, you know, Peter Parker, or Bruce Banner. I was like, okay, yeah. that's great from the start. The visuals across the board are awesome. I mean, you talked about the uncanny Valley at the, the world of the Oasis looks so good and just so bombastic and imaginative yes, that, I mean, I, word. I I really can't wait to just dive into that. And I think in I don't know if it's the same in the book, but I think for the movie, it's like the world. There's like seventy percent of people just basically live in the oasis, and so like all the problems that are in the actual world have only gotten worse because only like thirty percent percent of the population own, tries to like continue to yeah, no help the actual world. So mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll, I'm interested to see that dynamic play out and how you know it's I think. Um, uh, Spielberg called like a, a comparative study between you know okay why do people want to live in this world versus the virtual world and I I, I want to see that dynamic play out. There's clearly real consequences when like people start figuring out who's this Percival guy. Why is he you know he's like gonna win this whole thing and that's when Ben Mendelsohn steps in. Looks like he blows up the stacks. Yep. Or at least the stacks yeah. that you know Wade lives in. I I, I I just wanted to be in the Oasis for a large part of this movie see all the 80s references this thing has. Um, and I think that's going to only add to the rewatchability of the movie because, you know, we see saw shots of like Chucky is in there, Harley <laughs> Quinn, um, you know, Iron Giant was in there yeah. uh, this time and the first time. I mean, there's got to be just a ton of Easter eggs and cameos to, you know, pop culture references in this movie. <laughs> and you're just going to want to keep going back to see like what else they have. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I told you before we started recording, I was like, I could see this just launching, being the launching point for a Ready Player One Oasis, you know, sort of franchise. And because the world just looks so big and, you know, insane yeah. that the possibilities really are almost endless. That if Wade ends up becoming, you know, the getting the key to the Oasis and getting the key to the kingdom, that why wouldn't he like set up new rules to help just make the Oasis grow and, you know, make it, you know, just expand even further. And I think that could be uh, really, really cool. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of like, you just touched on it though, but Ben Mendelsohn and the whole, um, the economics mm-hmm. of the whole, like the world too, which maybe, maybe is what's 
Drew Spielberg to this project. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than just the dude is a nostalgia right. king. But uh, Ben Mendelsohn's out there talking about like, the Oasis is the most important economic resource because, right. like, like you said, like 70% or 30%. What was the number? I think 70% live mainly in the Oasis. Yeah. Uh, they're spending money, like, you know, all sorts of things like that. And that means the, you know, an end of controlling and things like mm-hmm. that. So, uh, yeah. Um, there's so much to, like you said, there's so much to explore here. And it's only been one book. I don't know how it would work out. But, uh, you know, the first book came out in 2013 or 2012 or something. Somewhere like it's come there. on the last like five years. Yeah, it's so very new. If the movie does well, they could always be like, "Hey, because Ernest Klein's producing it, I think he's pretty heavily involved with the movie," and so they could always be like, "Do you have any ideas where this could go?" And he'd be like, "Sure, here's a screenplay for a sequel and a TV series." They they launch that. That could oh, be no. that could be epic. Yeah, I hear but, you. Uh, you st- you mentioned the Uncanny Valley, and we got our first show for Alita: Battle Angel. Oh, we did. And. I've seen a lot of people have been like, the Uncanny Valley is very real <laughs> in this <laughs> movie. Because Rosa Salazar is like a blend of CGI live action to bring Alita to life. She has these like big bug eyes. Yeah, that I, think it, I think it looked, personally, I, think I, I thought it looked really cool. Because it looked like a manga live action movie. Mm-hmm. Not just like, okay, here, we're going to make a live action adaptation of a manga. But they like had you know, the look of a manga down with the big eyes. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's a little weird that like knowing that it's Rosa Salazar and that's not actually how her face really looks. But I thought it looked really cool and the visuals throughout uh, I thought were, were were great for a movie that's still not it's not coming out to like next June or July. So they've got, you know, six, seven months still to refine all the CG in this and it's a very CGI heavy movie. And, you know, with James Cameron involved with a cast that includes like Christoph Waltz, Marshall Ali, mm-hmm. Jennifer Conley, mm-hmm. um, even Isa Gonzalez from Baby Drivers in there. Oh, really? Um, yeah, she's Fantastic. the she's the one at the, I think it's near the very end of the trailer that like splits up into like these like spike arms with and those stuff. blades. Yeah, coming out. Oh, yeah, that's her. So it's got a great cast, great visuals. I just really want to know more about the story. Yeah, uh, in and of itself. I mean, it's. I will say this: I am totally down for the CG and everything like that. I think that's. I think Ready Player One has to deal with the Uncanny Valley way more than this does because Alita is a robot in a sense. So mm-hmm. you can, I like, you know, she's a creation of sorts. So it's right. not like they're asking you, all right, we'll buy into this Polar Express world, which I just watched the other day. And it's, you know, everything they say, you know, still, even today, <laughs> it is Tom Hanks is that conductor. This is the worst Tom Hanks of all. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, the cast and the real-world setting for this film bring puts you on the ground. And then these super machines or battle bots or I don't know. I don't I'm know not what, familiar I don't know. with the story. I don't know exactly what they're called. Yeah, but... It's got it's got gravitas in it. That the song "Lullaby for a Soldier," you know, overarching this whole trailer, just kind of gives it this like uh, dreamy feel to mm-hmm. to it. While you see Alita just like all of a sudden standing there, wanting to talk, then grabbing somebody's throat, or no, yeah, or just like t- doing a takedown of yeah. one of those massive mechs. Oh yeah, on uh, that's Ed Screen or Ed Screen, somebody, uh, the guy from Deadpool, the villain Ajax. Oh. That, that's his like you can like see his face in the okay. on the robot Pretty yeah cool. um like th- that split second thing and uh it, yeah 
I think it's going to be something very cool to see play out. I mean, especially because Cameron is the, I'm not the visual effect king, but he's pioneered a lot of what we use today and take, take, uh, take for granted. Yeah. So whatever this, like you said, manga live action blend, uh, we, maybe this is what we'll see going forward for yeah. a lot of things, you know, and maybe we'll look back and be like, probably would have liked, uh, ghost, ghost in the, in the shell. shell a lot more if it would have, you know, been something like right. that versus, and I mean like if this movie hits, I mean that Akira movie that, you know, Warner oh. Brothers wants Taika Waititi for, you know, I'm sure that'll just, you know, just blow, just blow the doors off and just go full steam Ooh. ahead. An Akira movie. Have you seen that movie? Uh-uh. Okay. Yeah. That's, that would be wild. I think well, it needs to be right, but. The Akira bike is in uh, Ready Player One. That's is it what, really? That's oh, what, that's what. That's what Artemis is, yeah. uh, drives. So, uh, tons of connections. There we go. <laughs> but moving on to another trailer we got, uh, second to last one here today. Uh, the first trailer for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is not a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming <laughs> or the long-awaited, you know, Spider-Man 4 for Tobey Maguire or the yeah. end of the trilogy for uh, Garfield. <laughs> this is the first animated Spider-Man movie. Um, it's being executive produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yep. It has Shameik Moore starring as uh, Miles Morales because he's the lead of this movie. And this one really blew me away. I loved this trailer yeah. so much. Like the visuals on this, I thought were just stunning. The way that, I mean, it's clearly animated. It's not like, whoa, the animation's so good. It's <laughs> right. It's live action. But like they had this really unique style where it was like almost like watching a movie that's in 3D without 3D glasses. Because mm-hmm. there's like the red, yeah. and, there's the red and blues coming back and forth. And you're like, okay, this is interesting. But also, like, the Spider-Verse story is super crazy that if they f- go full-on, um, you know, if they f- go just completely dive into that source material and adapt to that, like, not, like, shot for shot, but if they go beat sure. by beat almost, like, that is such a wild story that you could get so out there that only an animated movie could really do this that I think it could be just almost a perfect, you know, launching point to get hopefully more, like, big-budget animated you know movies of this caliber uh i mean i I, i'm i'm totally on board for this yeah the aesthetic is like a comic book come to life yeah everything looks like it was stylized right off the pages of some graphic novel or you know like a book like it's like a almost neon cathedral tim burton gotham city is overlaid onto new york in some respects and like there's this ah, i don't know like stop not stop motion but this the slow-mo animation on Mm -hmm. particularly the scene where miles just decides i'm gonna free fall through the city (laughs) and you're just watching that all blur past and like oh this is something very cool and then there's there's a couple scenes where it looks like he's racing through the streets and we're getting almost what i think is like i don't know what you call the term but like these comic book overlays of uh-huh. like when he does an a- when he makes an action or does something that's like the Batman pow from the yeah. old 60s <laughs> film but only you know just updated and put into right here and yeah it definitely looks super sweet but what the spider verse now does that mean like that there are 25 30 spider-mans all running around New York and they're gonna fight each other or something close uh, kinda basically the spider verse uh well it's it's, it's if they base it loosely on the story mm-hmm. from Marvel Comics, it's where this group called the Inheritors um, that live and feed on 
basically the souls of any uh, animal totem. They have selected spiders. Ooh. And so they go around killing Spider-Men and like devouring them so they can live. And so it's kind, it's kind of dark, Whoa. but Sheesh. they just like, it's basically, it, it's uh, like when they, they don't like, well, in, in some parts they do eat them, but other parts they just like absorb their energy. Yeah. Um, there, there's a movie that kind of does that in the same sense, but I can't think of what it was, but uh, basically in the story, the inheritors are saved. They, they don't want to go to earth 616, which is the main earth in Marvel comics because it has Peter Parker, who is said to be, you know, the greatest Spider-Man of all, but it also has, you know, spider woman. It has mm-hmm. silk. It has a bunch of different spider people. So they're like, it's too powerful. We can't get there. So they start picking off other earths, like, you know, earth 8,147 or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, like there's so many just crazy, <laughs> like weird like versions of Spider-Man, like he has multiple clone doppelgangers. Um, oh, snap. He has, there's like an alternate part um, version of him where he got this cosmic force and he kept it. And he like is basically like a mixture of like Adam Warlock oh, and Spider-Man. Snap. So he has like these cosmic powers, but he's still Spider-Man. There's Spider-Ham, there's Spider-Monkey, um, you know, Spider-Gwen, what? there's Miles Morales, Peter Parker, Superior Spider-Man. There's, there's all of this from like a thousand different Earths and they all start coming together making teams because the inheritors start hunting them down one by one. Yeah. So they start pairing up and then they ultimately like come together as one to try to stop the inheritors. The entire inheritor family comes. It's a huge, big battle. Oh, snap. Um, I mean, it, it is just absolutely wild. So this could be setting up. If this goes well, this is like a whole Spider-Verse oh, trilogy well, that's saga. Like the trailer, it starts off and you see the, there's the grave and it's just P and mm-hmm. P. You don't see the rest of it, but it's, it's Peter Parker. Yeah. He's dead in this universe because that's how Miles becomes you know, right. Spider-Man. But then at the end of the trailer, we see him sitting in a subway talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. Is that Peter Parker before he dies? Or is that, as I'm guessing, another Peter Parker or another Spider-Man from another world that has come to like get Miles on board or team up with Miles? And I think if it's a version of Peter Parker, because basically... 99% of the Spider-Man are some version of Peter Parker, whether mm-hmm. it's like an Indian Peter Parker, whose yeah. name is like the Indian version of Peter. And then like sure. his uncle Ben is uncle Ben with B H E N. Like they're all exactly the same kind of, there's like, you know, the UK Peter Parker from a different world and all this, <laughs> there's all this crazy stuff. Okay. But I think it'd be really cool if, if that is a Peter Parker that he's talking about in the trailer, if it's Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield voicing it. Oh, that would be sweet. Cause like that'd just be such a good, like little voice cameo to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could, you know, hint and tie it and all that other stuff that would be Toby. so epic. Oh, that would be great. But I mean, I, I mean, this is a movie that I mm-hmm. instantly shot up my most anticipated list for next year. Yeah. I thought it'd be something we just kind of brushed off. Mm-hmm. Not, not so not anymore. Like nope. that trail left a huge impression on me that, uh, I mean, I'm. It's it's next Christmas, which is like oh, it's so far away. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board for this. But uh, the other trailer we got this week was for Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. It was our very first look at the sequel to the kind of controversial Jurassic World. You know, it's kind of mixed reception. You no, there's love not it. there's not mixed reception to the, the second highest grossing domestic film uh, in the history of you know, films. Okay. It, it was a massive hit. 
Yes. Even if critics panned it for being too nostalgic or yeah, repetitive, yeah, yeah. whatever. Know, I'm just laying Listen, it out there. Disney offered Colin Trevorrow the job based off of that movie because it was a good movie. It worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, well, you, listen, all right, that the things in the aftermath um, are debatable, okay? Or not debatable, but th- th- there's a reason they offered him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Jurassic World as a standalone film and yes. project. But now we have Fallen Kingdom. Yes. And maybe Disney saw this trailer, and that's why they <laughs> fired him. You're saying that Disney fired Gone Tomorrow <laughs> for a trailer to a movie that he's not directing? I don't. <laughs> that's listen, how bad this was. <laughs> I it was. It's not good. It's not a good trailer. No. Okay, I'll, I'll say this: J. A. Bayona behind this project makes me feel confident that whatever marketing um, Universal is engaging in for this is purely a marketing strategy. And that, that alone, mm-hmm. um, Colin Trevorrow saying, "Oh, you're only seeing 57 minutes of yeah. it." I mean, we're only seeing um, two minutes of it. Right, we're seeing up to all the events of the trailer take place in the first half of the movie. Yeah, so, but what I don't understand is why does this look like San Andreas mashed (laughs) up with, you know, uh, Rampage, a movie that's not even out yet. It it looks, it it just looks like something um, a little kid would tell you about Jurassic Mm -hmm. Park and World. And not that that's not who the audience is for, but there are just so many questions and like retconning, and it looks like a dinosaur CGI fest, and that's oh, not yeah. that's not what we were promised. We were promised, oh, we're going to return to animatronics. This is going to have a horror feel to it. And yeah, the first two, the first Jurassic World film had that mm-hmm. tinge to it. It was supposed to be like a horror. you know, dinosaur yeah. movie. Not not really. Uh, by the end of the film, it's just a it's Jurassic World Kung Fu or something right. like that, you know, <laughs> with the dinosaurs fighting each other kind of like that. Um, and I feel bad critiquing this because I haven't seen anything other than a trailer. Right. But it just looks like they don't really care so much about what – they don't care much about the majesty mm-hmm. that the first – that the, all three of those first films at least tried to uphold mm-hmm. and that the Jurassic World tried to pay homage to. Yeah. This just looked like – we have dinosaurs. So what else? Oh uh, well, a volcano How about explosion. A volcano? Yeah, like sure. We, we can't do a meteorite, so volcano. <laughs> you know, and then I mean, Jeff Goldblum looks like he's just showing up to talk to the press, and I am, yeah. um, I'm, I'm let down by what I saw. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think the biggest thing for me, like going into this, they they released like some EW photos and, and some you know, featurettes, some featurettes videos. and stuff, and I was like, okay. Yeah. I'm not super sold on this. I mean, I, I thought Jurassic World was good, not great. Um, yeah, I wanted it to be more, but I was like, but they're getting Jay Bayona, mm-hmm. the director of The Impossible, the director of A Monster Calls, like that first photo of the um, the raptor, like standing there, fire all around you. Like this feels like that looks like a Jay Bayona movie yeah. where like he's going to get in. He, they're going to try to get dinosaurs off the island, but obviously it's going to be a lot tougher than they thought because it's, it's just a island run over by dinosaurs and you have mm-hmm. to try to corral them and you can really get into those horror elements then and really make you care about the characters. And I was like, that's where Jay Bayona is going to shine. Yeah. And I watched this trailer and I was like, where's Jay Bayona's touch? Is yeah. he even directed this movie? Like, I don't know. It, it looks so mindless. Like it looks like they're like, okay, we made 1.6 billion on the first movie. How do we top it? Okay. Well, 
What are some other big franchises out there? Star Wars, mm-hmm. Marvel movies. What about Transformers? Transformers <laughs> just goes big and crazy, and they make over a billion dollars every single time. Let's <laughs> let's do that. Let's add a volcano and tons of dinosaurs and characters that you don't really care about, which is you know kind of sad. Like I liked you know Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt in the first movie, yeah, but you know when match. they when it opens up with them in like the diner and they're like he's like so you dating some like banker now or whatever. I was like what is this yeah. like what 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 are, where are we going with this movie like i don't want to see that i want to see like you know them on an island but then like bryce Dallas howard's characters like founded some like dinosaur rescue company even though she hated dinosaurs mm-hmm. um like it takes four years it takes place four years after the first movie so what has happened in those four years since then and then yeah like the jeff goldblum thing like that's what you get jeff goldblum for it comes right. in the courtroom yeah like, that's super disappointing. Why isn't he on the island? Like, why isn't he, like, an advisor to Bryce Dallas Howard's company or something? Um, and then, like, yeah, the the Trev- the thing Trevorrow said, like, oh, don't worry, you've only seen the first 57 minutes. Like, before he said that, I was like, I just saw the entire movie. Like, the volcano has to be the end of the movie. And now that he's saying this, I'm left wondering, well, what's the other half of this movie? Yeah. If the... If the midpoint, if the inciting moment of this movie is a volcano blowing up and, you know, making dinosaurs run off cliffs, drown, and, mm-hmm. you know, Bryce Dallas Howard and Justice Smith are in that weird circular thing, you know, dr- you know floating to the bottom of the ocean. And Chris Pratt was swept away by, yeah. by all the smoke. Like, what are we doing the rest of the half of the movie? Mm-hmm. The, the synopsis teases, like, some major conspiracy is involved. I'm just like, oh, what is this movie? Right. And I'm like, ah. I mean, I wasn't really looking no, forward to a Fallen Kingdom to begin with, and now this... There's just no elements to it. I'm like, all right, this doesn't look great, but at least there's just one element that I can like still be hopeful of. Yeah. And I, I, I have no hope. You no. Know, and yeah, you know, like, listen, like I appreciated the first, I, I, I appreciated Jurassic world because it was also a bit of a commentary too mm-hmm. about sequels. And I'm like, this is so meta and so good because the idea was behind it was, well, 30 years later, even after three movies with disastrous intense yeah. people are still gonna we're not gonna learn from our mistakes right. and we're gonna open the park back up come on we'll 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 double we'll double triple safety yeah we'll have all of these things all right and that's even what the owner in jurassic world says he's like this park is predicated by the fact that we can stop a dinosaur like that's the only right. reason we're here why are we screwing this up all the time and um and then a, you know in other parts they're like um henry Wu, the scientist mm-hmm. for them he's like Dinosaurs don't even look like this, man. Like right. we, we make them like this. We give them teeth. We do all this because you need theme park attractions. Yeah. And it was all this. It was this idea that, you know what, that thing that you love that Spielberg tried to do, where he says, look at the um, nature and how what our relationship is with it. Mm-hmm. The, and then they try to say in this one, like. You know, people are always going to try to, you know, ring out profits. That's why in three months you're going to get a new Star Wars franchise, and then right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, here, it just looks like, like I said, a disaster porn with dinosaurs. Yeah, it looks and, like it has a bad case of sequelitis. And the next, yeah, and then the next ninety minutes of this movie, at least, are probably. I mean, if the volcano is the apex of the island, then. And what happens after that? You're, you've got dinosaurs on boats headed for New York City or San Francisco. And it's Lost World all over again. And it's Lost World. It's 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 the there's 90 minutes of dinosaurs destroying the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge, not the Brooklyn Bridge, but the Golden Gate Bridge, <laughs> and st- instead of like 20. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I mean, listen, I, I'm going to be sympathetic because this trailer debuted on a Thursday night football game to, uh, you know, that crowd. Yeah. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what you needed them to see to get them talking about Jurassic World. I mean, Fallen Kingdom. I'm the P I am the demographic of people who watch Thursday night football. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> but, <laughs> it I mean, didn't sell me on it. I'm just, I'm but just I got probably the minority broader. that is obsessed with football fantasy sure. football i'm looking at you know i have my espn app open <laughs> checking my fantasy football scores throughout this entire episode because it's playoff mm-hmm. season right and you know i'm that guy who's doing that and also you know sure s- you know checking up on movies all the time but uh, going from one sequel that may disappoint to maybe another x-men mm-hmm. dark phoenix yeah please. this is a movie this is a movie It'll, that exists mm-hmm. that's going that is it's already finished production. It's coming out. It's next, already in the can next Man. year. Well, not because can, it it wrapped like a month or so ago. Because uh, Simon Kingberg told EW that he wanted them to have plenty of time in post to get the effects right on you know the Phoenix on everything else because this is one going to space, all this good stuff. And EW released a spread on the movie this week, giving us our first look at Sophie Turner's Jean Grey becoming the Phoenix. Um, we got to see a shot of the X jet in space on a mission. We got to see a shot of, um, Jessica Chastain's villain. That is still, that is not Lalandra as it was previously thought. It's somebody that somebody, it's a mystery. Nobody yeah, knows. She took to Twitter to tease that too. Yeah. I noticed. Um, and I mean, who knows? There's also like a shot of like a funeral looking scene. There's a bunch of shots of Sophie Turner. Um, but really, I mean, I don't know. This just doesn't do anything for me. It, yeah. I mean, like the, the the images that they released look like there's a lot of crazy stuff that's going to go on. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, I'm not a fan of the Dark Phoenix look. No. Like, is that how she's going to look the entire movie? I just think it's. I don't want to say exploitive, but I mean, it's kinda. a little. I mean, yeah. Well, like Sophie Turner's there, like basically naked, but she has her arms crossed over her chest. But her like skin is like peeling off, and her head's on fire, and it's like that's that can't be how she's gonna look in the movie. Yeah, because if that's the case, then you have a you know a naked girl <laughs> as your star, and that's clearly not gonna be X Men unless they're also gonna take Dark Phoenix in the R rated approach. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I think that could have been handled, but I mean, I, I don't know, handled better. But, like, but even like the fiery look of her hair, like that just looked weird. It looked like. Just like I don't know how you do this. It look it looks okay in a still image. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll look better uh, in live action. But yeah, I I just don't, we're we're past that point for superhero movies to look like that. I mean, at least for characters and superhero yeah. movies to look like. I that. mean, was there any detail in the spread that really you know stuck out to you or caught your eye? I mean, we got we know the team is going to space at the very beginning of the movie. A solar flare hits the X jet. That's how the Phoenix is unlocked. And that Jessica Chastain's character is a shapeshifter who is um, going to use and manipulate Phoenix for her own gain. So, again, we don't really, really know what this movie is uh, going to be about. No, I listen, I'll say this. Kimberg is a good director. I mean, Kimberg's directed X-Men movies. He hasn't done that. He's produced them. He's He's never directed. This he's is his directorial debut. He's produced X-Men movies. He's produced um, many. And I have, a, I have always appreciated his vision of what these movies are to be. Um, but this right here just looks 
it looks like everything else we've seen. Yeah. It looks like Jennifer. It looks like the billboard of Jennifer Lawrence being choked out by apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was a that was a whole thing, rightfully so yeah. too. Uh, and you know, I mean, uh, like just when I thought I couldn't be like leading up to apocalypse on the podcast, I was like, I have no excitement for this movie. Maybe it's because it's so close to civil war. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I just don't, I have no interest in this movie right now. And this one, it's even less. So I'm just like, all right, just give me new mutants already. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's the only really, you know, extra movie I'm like really amped for at this moment. And you know, who knows what else is going to happen with that franchise, but uh, we may know what's next for Star Trek with Deadline revealing that Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, that's right. Quentin Tarantino, the director of Reservoir Dogs, Hateful Eight, uh, Pulp Fiction, all these crazy R-rated movies, mm-hmm. Django Unchained. Can't forget that. He recently pitched yeah, Kill Bill. I mean, I mean we'll Jackie go. Brown. Yeah. Was, that, that's, I, I think that's almost his full filmography. That's up his eight films that he's done. Yep. Um, you know, he recently pitched his take on a Star Trek movie, and it was received so well that the studio's like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And so now the project is being developed. He may direct. Uh, the current plan is they are looking to finish getting a – they're looking to hire a writer to flesh out Tarantino's idea, write the script and everything. And the current front runner is Mark Smith, who previously wrote The Revenant. Um the plan would be that whoever hired, who is hired as a screenwriter will write the script as Tarantino films his The Manson Family Murder uh, movie that he's going to start filming, I think, early next year. Um, the, this script for Star Trek will be written over the course of that production. And then once that Manson movie is out in theaters in 2019, Tarantino will then decide whether or not he wants to direct um, the movie will definitely be R-rated. Whether or not Tarantino is attached to direct, J.J. Abrams is producing, and then, well, what, what, okay. Before we get into the other part of it, yeah, I mean, is this a movie? Is it, does this interest you? It does. Yeah, but I mean, a rated R Star Trek film interests me. Mm-hmm. I well, I mean, I'm I'm so high off of Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, still same. so good. Exactly that. And a pivot, a change now sounds great. You know, I'm like, I'm open to anything, Mm -hmm. especially because I feel like that movie trilogy kind of completed an emotional arc. I mean, now take me somewhere else. You lost Anton Yelchin. Like, I mean, yeah, you can, yeah, it kind of sucks. We don't get to see like Sophia Boutella's Jayla or whatever her character's name is. Mm -hmm. Like, see that continue on and see, you know. Uh, you know, Chris Pine and, you know, Zachary Quinto and Zoe Saldana, Carl Urban, all those people back together again. But I think it makes sense to reboot because Beyond didn't do well at the box, the box office. Um, right. As sad as that is, it just, that's a, that's the fact. And Tarantino is a huge fan of the TV shows. He's previously talked about how he would maybe do a Star Trek movie and he referenced old uh, Star Trek episodes that he would basically expand out into an entire movie and, to make that more interesting, Patrick Stewart told The Hollywood Reporter that he'd be interested in coming back to play Jean-Luc Picard in a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. So maybe that's the way Who this is going to go. that? Especially I mean, he just did Logan. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm high off that man, too. Like, if you bring... I, I'll be honest. I have not seen the old Star Trek series. so I've, The original. Yeah, so I, I've... I've seen bits and pieces. So I, I have no attachment to Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. None. 
Oh, Next Generation. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that series. Okay. I haven't seen the movies. Um, so I, I don't know this character, and I don't have that attachment to it. But Patrick Stewart gave one of the best supporting male lead roles of the year so far mm-hmm. <laughs> in Logan, and to see him jump back into a franchise that was so beloved and get to do it in the Tarantino way, yeah, that'd be so interesting. Like, how could you not be on board for that? I I could I have a hard time saying no to it. Yeah. But my quality question would be is Chris does Chris Pine get to come back at all? Because I'd also love to see that dude in a rated R Star Trek film as well. Yeah. But if, if But would it, that still fit? No, it wouldn't. Yeah. And if he would take the next generation cast and do a Star Trek film like with that'd that, be that'd be so huge. That would be epic. Well and like you think, like the people who have the attachment to Stewart's John Luke Picard they're an older demographic. You know, they're not, you know, our age and younger. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, in their 20s or their teens. Like, they're people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And so they can definitely go see an R-rated movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you pitch that to them, like, I would imagine they'll show, they'll, they'll come out in droves to come see this movie and see that return on the big screen. Like, I think this is, you know, this. I think this is the way to go. If if we're going to get more Star Trek, you either do it like this or you let it stay away for a little bit and then bring it back in another like five or seven years or something. Yeah, I I, I don't know what else he what else where where he would go with it. Yeah, because I mean you have an aged cast because mm-hmm. the next generation. I mean they're I'm pretty sure their average age is somewhere like around fifty. Right. Or you know close like Will Wheaton's probably the young was the youngest guy there <laughs> and he's like in his forties. Right. So, uh, but what I mean, man. How Quentin Tarantino's minds work, mind works, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So whatever he pitched, uh, and they in a studio thought, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, deserves to be on screen, yeah. I think. So moving on to the Queen and biopic Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, THR revealed this week that Brian Singer has been fired as the director on this project after not reporting his set for multiple days. Um he has said this is because he's dealing with a sick parent. Um, other people have insinuated that he is using that as an excuse, um, and especially in light of recent allegations that have come his way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the project is not being just completely shut down or taken away. Instead, Fox announced that Eddie the Eagle director Dexter Fletcher is taking over the project. Uh, he previously was developing this project, um, with Ben Wishaw in the lead role back in like 2013, he couldn't do it. And then Brian Singer, you know, developed it on his end and got Rami Malek to play the lead role, uh, of Freddie Mercury. There's only a few weeks left of filming. So this isn't going to be like a Ron Howard situation. Total where 360. He, 180. Yeah. Where, you know, Fletcher reshoots the entire movie. Um, it looks like he'll basically do like a Joss Whedon thing, come in, fill in the holes and, We'll probably still see directed by Brian Singer on this movie at the end of the day, yeah. um, unless the DGA works some really weird thing. Because I don't think they could do that based on how much film has been shot. Yeah, um, I don't think I think technically it would still technically be Singer's movie. But at the same time, uh, I love Dead of the Eagle. Dexter mm-hmm. Fletcher, I thought did a great job. I've been waiting to see what he's going to do next. And he is also signed up to do a Elton John biopic with Taron Egerton. Um, so this could be just a great little training exercise for him, getting his feet wet in the music biopic industry or that, that genre. Yeah. And uh, I have all the faith in Dexter Fletcher to take over and finish this project and 
do a good job on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how well Fletcher, you know, fits into the Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, right. for all my, I mean, my distaste of singer right now, uh, you know, his his vibe fits with that, and I'm mm-hmm. sure Fletcher knows how to film, and you know, and knows right. can wrap it up. But and you know, all the best to that film because I mean, Queen, great man. Yeah, but. Elton John, definitely, and, and Taron Edgerton doing that. I mean, uh, have you seen his impression? I have not seen his impression. Taron Edgerton has an Elton John impression. Okay, um, that's definitely. There's like a YouTube video where he like tries on like you know Elton John like sunglasses. Yeah, and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Kingsman okay, Two yeah. now and uh, Eddie the Eagle and how sweet that movie was. And I mean, I don't know what Elton John was like back in his day, right? But yeah, let's let's do this. I mean, well, I hope this goes well for him mm-hmm. so that the Elton John thing is just, you know, given a green, total green light. Yeah. And we get a fun movie with him and uh, Taron yeah. back up. Absolutely. Um, moving on to the Detective Pikachu movie. And possibly the strangest news ever. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe just this week. Ever, okay. Maybe a stretch. But it was revealed this week via The Hollywood Reporter that Ryan Reynolds is going to voice Pikachu in the Detective Pikachu movie. What? The role is said to be motion capture, but there's no confirmation on whether or not Reynolds will actually lend his entire body and like, mm-hmm. report to set for a couple of weeks to do motion capture for Pikachu because yeah. really, how much can you really do motion capture for Pikachu? But also, as far as I understand, I'm not a huge Pokemon guy, but Pikachu doesn't speak English. <laughs> no. So I'm guessing this is like a vin diesel Groot situation right yeah it is he only says pikachu uh he's like says variations like, yes yeah, so he's yeah. like pikachu and or you know all Pika, that. pikachu yeah. or i just know it from like you know, super yeah. smash bros and stuff exactly <laughs> oh yeah that 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 super smash brothers encompasses all of pikachu's vocabulary okay and all of its inflections and uh lengthens and hyphenations okay so yeah that, i mean but Knowing Ryan Reynolds' voice is going to be squeakified. Yeah. To do I'm sure this. it'll be. I'm sure it'll be funny. And he's, and he's. I mean, I don't know. Did Deadpool, did Deadpool get an international? Um, did it get a international Chinese release? release? Did he probably didn't make it to China or anything, did it? That's a good question. I do not know. I don't know, but he's definitely. But he's still. Even if not, he's still that big movie star. He's that big movie star whose voice could capture. All, you know, I mean. I'm I'm interested in this movie again <laughs> after you know snoozing on it once we learned that it was going to be Detective Pikachu. Right. Uh But yeah, I mean he'll he will he lends a uh, a star credibility. Yeah, I mean I, the lead is going to be Justice Smith um from the Get Down who's going to be in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and then the female lead is um, I don't know her name. It's some. It's a girl from Big Little Lies. So okay. Uh, I think she plays the young Reese Witherspoon in the TV show. So they're they're going unknown. So it's no surprise that they're like, all right, we need a big name to really get this thing, you know, yeah. some marketability. And they're like, let's get Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed, though, that this is a wise cracking Pikachu, and he's not just going to be saying Pikachu all the time. You want him to actually say more? Oh yeah, I definitely do. Especially if it's Ryan Reynolds' voice with it. So I don't think it will be because then they can just do, hey, like they do with Vin Diesel over at Marvel. Hey, Ryan, come in for two mm-hmm. hours and say Pikachu in different different inflections. Yeah, and you're good. Here's you know a couple million dollars. Right. Like it's it's a it's an easy gig. Uh, but moving on to some Star Wars news before we get out of here, uh, Ryan Johnson 
was uh, in an interview with Mashable. This this was a little blown up proportion potentially. Um, where they where they asked him if he if his new Star Wars trilogy was going to be an adaptation of Knights of the Old Republic because that is a video game. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know that history is something a lot of people love and adore yeah. and want to see on the big screen. And he said, "No, I'm not going to adapt Knights of the Old Republic. I want something new, something fresh." And so a lot of people took that to mean, oh, this isn't an Old Republic move. This is going to be an Old Republic trilogy. That's not the case. It's merely Johnson's not going to adapt it yeah. exactly how it is. So right. he could still do an Old Republic set movie. Mm-hmm. He just won't have it star like, who is it, Darth Revan and... Revan Malik. Uh, like, you know, all, of, all of those, those characters. Yep. They won't be involved, or at least it wouldn't be in the same way it is in the game. He's going to use... New characters, new planets, new stories, but he could still have it set in Old Republic. He's just not going to adapt it, which is good and bad. Because I think yeah. if he was like, if they announced we're adapting Knights of the Old Republic, he'd be like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. crazy big news. <laughs> right. But at the same time, I want to see what Johnson does with the blank slate. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, uh, yeah. I mean, I, when he says an adaption, I mean, like you said, I mean, just taking source material and turning it into a movie. Mm-hmm. No, everything he says, everything he's done is going to be new. And listen, Kotar, whether you you know loved it or didn't love it, it's gone. It's not canon anymore. Right. But depending on how the Last Jedi plays out, we're going to learn about you know the the before times in Star Wars. And Ryan Johnson could very well be queuing up a Star Wars period piece. Right. So, uh, I and I kind of hope that's the case. But so then again, I. you know what I. A, a brand new trilogy that's not going to, you know, leech off of the Skywalkers is what I'm stoked for. And um, I'm, Ryan Johnson's the guy to get it done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, th- I would prefer him to set have his movies set, you know, back before the prequels because it opens up more space, I think, than having it being set immediately after episode nine and being like, hey, where? how come Ray and Poe and Finn and Luke and Leia and... Everybody aren't in this. It's like, well, right. uh, we're in a different planet. Mm-hmm. Don't ask us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, it gives them so much more freedom to set it somewhere else instead. Um, so I think that's smart. And uh, also then, if because he's not doing an adaptation, if he introduces the Old Republic era, then they could still adapt it later on. Right. So, yeah, there's plenty of options out there for Star Wars. Um, and then, you know, just one last story before we get out of here today. Uh, Edgar Wright confirmed to EW that negotiation negotiations are underway for a baby driver sequel. He said, quote, the deal is being hammered out as we speak. So hopefully I'm going to at least write a second one. I've definitely got a lot of ideas. Are we interested in a sequel, especially if Wright doesn't direct it? He has to direct it or else I, or, uh, right, okay, so like... I don't know. For me, a Baby Driver yeah. sequel directed, written by Edgar Wright, starring Ansel Elgort, Lily James, um, and then John Bernthal comes back in or something. Yeah. And then we get a whole bunch of other new fun cast members. That's like a 9 on the nine out of 10 on my anticipation scale probably. Like uh, that's, that's way up there. Mm-hmm. But if Wright's not involved as a director... And it's like, you know, even if it was like Joe Cornish, like he'd be like, oh, that'd be cool. But it would be good. That's still not the Edgar Wright. Plus, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't need a, a Baby Driver sequel because Me neither. what do I mean? What do you do? Do you 
do it the same way and have yeah. have the redux of okay, well here's it's all synced up to music again mm-hmm. or we'll write break it out and be like, okay, well here's this is what it was before. Now we're going to go the complete opposite direction and do this really different sort of heist movie. And it's totally unlike the first one. And that would alienate the fans of the first one. Potentially. Yeah. Like I, I think there's too many complicating factors here to really make, I have, I have all the faith in Edgar Wright to pull it off if that's what he wants to do. But Same here. I would rather just see him do his weird, um, like praying mantis movie, or whatever he's developing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like because this is I have, I was of two minds of this too. I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. But then again, what was better than Baby Driver this year? I mean, some things maybe, but not in terms of <laughs> not many, but in terms of execution, heart and soul, music pairing, and you know all of those tropes combined together mm-hmm. were amazing. But I don't see how you make the like because what sequels are are the, are the you know or the not so much the continuation of the story but the let's do it bigger and better this time around yeah. that's why john wick john wick 2 worked right because not as well it was not as well though yeah, yeah. it the kung fu was better faster uh, longer but you were missing the spirit of the first one which yeah. was you know seeing Just it all happen revenge, yeah pure revenge seeing it all happen for the first time and you know, Miles's story felt like it was at the end. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where you go with it other than, I mean, that's obviously his job to figure that out. Right. You know, that's his story <laughs> to tell. But it's it's sort of like okay, well, if you do like you said, do we do all the same tropes again? Will it really feel as magical and special? Um, especially you know on studios uh, timelines today, mm-hmm. that means this movie. If it is greenlit, will be out what next year? Not next year, but twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm ready for a Baby Driver sequel in twenty nineteen. Right, and like, why would Baby get back in the game? You know, right? If he's finally free of Kevin Spacey's character, he's finally out of jail. He's just there with with Lily James. Mm-hmm. There's no need to get back into the heist game. So, like, yeah. why would he? You know, he lost so much because of being the heist game that. Now that he's out, you'd think he, him and Lily James would be like, all right, time to just relax, go drive across the country. Yeah. And maybe that could be interesting. You know, they do like a cross-country trip and just along the way something happens. Like, I'm sure Wright could cope with something there, but I'd rather it has such a good ending of being like, is that the real ending or is that just, you know, baby's dream of how it ends? There's, I think there's just some fun stuff to play with there that I don't really need or mm. want mm. a sequel. I'm good with Baby yeah. Driver being just a standalone. If he wants to make a sequel to one of his movies, make a Scott Pilgrim 2 or something. Like, I'd <laughs> yeah. lo- I would love to go back to that world. Oh, who wouldn't? Yeah, so. I, I totally agree. But, I mean, you know, I also would like to see Lily James's character yeah. more, again, you know, written up Maybe she's better. the center. You know, maybe it's Baby Driver 2, but it's her adventures while Baby's in jail. The, okay, that would be pretty kick-butt. And it's like... Or it's an anthology of you know this of just this crime getaway drivers that's, getaway that drivers. could be interesting that would be super cool the legend of baby driver or something you know yeah it's not like sure. the origin <laughs> yeah i don't i don't want to see the origin baby driver diaper diaper stories <laughs> yeah. you know. um so that's all the news we have this week no big question um we're looking at possibly change up our format a little bit and if once we finalize that sort of stuff we will let you guys know but uh this coming week it's a big one yes we're gonna have a preview episode out and then in a week from now, we're going to have a review out for Star Wars 
The Last Jedi. Oh boy. The uh, I mean, listen, I I'm gonna uh, I don't I mean I'll keep it short, but this is the movie I have been dying to see <laughs> since I was ten years old. Probably, but I think that's the age when I was able to like realize, oh, Star Wars ends right here at right. this point, and then you can read the books and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but now they've finally put Luke Skywalker back onto film, mm-hmm. and boy, I don't know what's going to happen because <laughs> I, I mean I've seen I, I to my. Uh, to my, oh, I don't even know what the word is, but I'm not happy because I've seen some of the rea- early reactions of the movie, and you know they are what they are. Okay. So, with that said, I kind of know what to expect a Star Wars movie. Of uh, Ryan Johnson has a Star Wars movie that I don't think we've seen before. I guess. Okay. Seems to be the, the summary. consensus. Okay. Yeah, the consensus. that's expected. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a reason people are just, you know, hailing him as, you know, there's a reason he's got that trilogy exactly. on his way. So, I'm I'm stoked for that. And that's all, I mean, that's all I really got. I mean, yeah. all these characters, Ridley, John Williams' score is back. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I really miss that in Rogue One. I, I'm, and, you know, uh, so, okay, I'm shutting up. Cooper, <laughs> why right. are you stoked for The Last Jedi? I will tell you why. In our preview episode for The Last Jedi, okay. uh, just briefly now, though, I mean, it's it's Star Wars. I mean, yep. it, it's great to have it back uh, in full force, uh, pun intended there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the one that, again, like we talked about last week, it's the it's the movie that started the podcast. Yeah. You know, the Star Wars return started our podcast and started us on this two-year journey. And it's been a long <laughs> it's been a long wait to get here. Like, I just rewatched Star Wars uh, Force Awakens yesterday, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, can I just watch The Last Jedi right now? Like, it's just... Yeah. It's so good, and uh, I, I really just can't wait to see it. So we're going to talk about it a lot more in depth uh, in our preview episode. If you guys want to you know, speculate and theorize with us, be sure to tune into that in a couple of days. But otherwise, this is all we got. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, have our iTunes go say five-star review because you know it's almost Christmas. If you want to give us a gift... Leaving us a review would be a great gift for the podcast. Um, and be sure to tell us your thoughts and everything we covered by tweeting us at Friends and Film. We're used to updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find Percy on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends and Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to return next week for our review of Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs>